Hello, everybody. Uh, today, we're just going to go straight into the time of the word. Um, so if you could turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And uh, I think I shared that um, <clears throat> we're moving pretty fast at this point. Um, next week, we're actually going to jump over to chapter 4 because uh, I preached on um, the next passage in chapter 3 uh, as the first sermon of the year. Uh, so if you're uh, curious about that passage, you can always go to our website and listen to the sermon uh, by yourself. But uh, next week we're jumping over to chapter 4 already. So uh, God is faithful in our journey uh, with the book of Ephesians so far. So let me read it for us. Uh, again, the, today's passage is Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. And I'll pray for us and we'll uh, go right into the time of the sermon. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you, Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive uh, my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men uh, in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets uh, by the Spirit. This mystery uh, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery uh, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, so that uh, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access uh, with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. That is God's word. Uh, please bow your heads with me uh, one more time, and uh, let's uh, ask God together uh, for his guidance in this time. Heavenly Father, thank you that uh, everything is by your grace, so we can simply do what we can uh, by the strength that you provide, uh, so that all glory and credit I'll go to you. So, Lord, I'm standing here um, longing for that strength of yours alone. And may that same strength open the eyes of everyone's heart uh, in this room, as well as those who are joining uh, through the live stream, so that uh, we as a church might be united uh, in your gospel. That after this word of yours, uh, may we uh, get to go home and go our respective places. Uh, more filled uh, with your grace 
and more understanding of how much you love us uh, despite our failures and shortcomings because it is your grace. Thank you, Lord. Empower me as your humble servant uh, for your glory. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let me share the three points as usual for you to uh, follow along. Uh, those are the divine appointment and the divine uh, power and the divine sacrifice. And the title for this sermon is The Divine Callings. First, the divine appointment. Uh, verse 1, it says, For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. The first words, uh, for this reason, indicates that today's passage is a response to last week's passage. And if you remember, maybe from the Sunday service as well as uh, your uh, study with your life group, we saw how God brought the believing Gentiles and Jews together in Christ and made them into one universal church. And now the Gentiles enjoy all the blessings and privileges of being part of God's family, uh, just like the, the formerly chosen people of God, namely the Jews. And that's a great news that we saw last week, especially for the Ephesian readers who were mostly Gentiles. But there seemed to have been uh, some doubts among these Ephesian uh, believers about what Paul was teaching at the time because, as we'll see, uh, you know, there seemed to be, uh, that seems to be because Paul was in prison right now in Rome. And just think about that. If Paul is in prison, is what he's teaching in this letter, does that really you know, apply? Because in the letter so far, Paul has been teaching about how Christ is victorious in heaven on his throne, and also believers are sitting around him in heaven spiritually, uh, and they are victorious too. Uh, and then in that context, he just talked about how Gentiles and the Jews are in one body, uh, again, victorious. But if Paul is in prison, how can we be victorious? The, the spokesperson, Paul is in prison. It doesn't make sense. Uh, so that seemed to have been a, uh, the origin of the doubt that people had. So in this verse, as you see here, Paul states right away that he is a prisoner. It says he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. But in the rest of the passage, we will see uh, him explaining why his suffering in prison. And he'll also explain why the Ephesian uh, readers can still rest assured of the promises that he had taught them. So we'll look, um, we'll go through these verses together and see why the hope is still alive for them. So verse two, it says, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Here, Paul's going to argue that he is legitimate apostle assigned for the Gentiles, the, the apostle for the Gentiles. There, the word stewardship uh, basically means management. So the verse basically means that uh, Paul became a manager of something that God has graciously uh, given him for the sake of, it says, you, uh, which are the Gentiles. So we read on, verse 3 how the mystery was made known to me by revelation 
as I have written briefly. Later we'll see in verse 6 that the mystery is the gospel, especially how the Gentiles and the Jews came together, uh, like we saw last week. And now, uh, so that mystery, the gospel, is what God graciously gave Paul to manage well in the last verse. But then he adds the two words, by revelation, meaning that Paul received this revelation. He didn't invent it. He received it by revelation. So as a proof text of that, look with me now uh, to Acts 26, uh, verses 12 through 18. Uh, it's an account of Paul's conversion that he is recounting to King Agrippa in the chapter. So it's a little bit of a long passage, but I uh, just want to give you a context here. So follow with me. It says, uh, Paul saying, In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. At midday, O king, the vision, the revelation here, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in, in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul received directly from Jesus in Revelation. Again, this is not his own invention. And, and at that revelation, he was assigned, appointed, by Jesus himself to be the apostle for the Gentiles, meaning he is a legitimate apostle to the Gentiles. And, and now, in the next two verses, he's going to say a little more about uh, his legitimacy as apostle. So verse 4, it says, when you read this, so, uh, or before that, it says, as I, have, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. Um, what he has written briefly is none other than what he has been writing in this letter. And, and here Paul's talking about how uh, what he's been saying in this letter uh, verifies that he knows what he's talking about, about the gospel. So he's not just, you know, saying just, you know, what he invented again, but he knows the content of the gospel. So he is legitimate. And in verse 5, he says, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Again, same thing. You know, uh, this mystery, this gospel truth was hidden from the older generation in the Old Testament, but now it's been exclusively uh, revealed by revelation to these apostles and prophets chosen by God to be, as we saw last week, the bad, to be the bad rock 
of the new church, the foundation of this new people of God. Again, Paul's saying, I am one of those apostles appointed by God himself. I am legitimate, so don't worry. Don't have doubts about my message. It is legitimate, even though I'm in prison. But trust me, I'm appointed by Jesus himself. Let me share uh, something that I uh, experienced time to time in my life. I don't know why this happens, uh, but whenever I go to uh, grocery stores, like Costco, which is my second home, because I have to get a lot of stuff there uh, every week, uh, having a kid now. So I just, you know, I'm minding my own business, you know, at those stores. And I think every once in a while, people come up to me and ask me what specific items are, like which aisles in the store they are. And I just pause and I go, uh, and I just stare at them for a few seconds and I realize, oh, you don't work here. Okay, I'm sorry. So they walk away. Okay, I don't know why. I, I, I mean, I just wear the normal, normal clothes. I don't wear any uniform or anything. But they come up to me and ask me for this information. But anyways, you know, good thing I'm not wicked. Because if I was, then I would just you know, pretend that I do work there and just you know, lead them astray and you know, pull pranks and stuff. But I don't do that. But the point here is, um, you know, in order to find the right items and get the right information, you have to find the right people, right? And the way to do that is that you have to find people in uniforms or, you know, you have to look at those store badges, right? And they're the people whom the store appointed to be the representatives of their management. Uh, you know, they have the authoritative knowledge uh, to help people in the right way. And that's what Paul is saying here. Likewise, Paul is not someone who looked like he had some knowledge about God's truth. But in fact, his boss, Jesus, uh, directly appointed him to represent him to the world, namely, especially the Gentiles. So they can, they should, they must trust him for his gospel of hope for the Gentiles. And now, Expanding from this appointment, special appointment of Paul, I think the way we can apply this is, is this. Of course, you know, Paul's appointment as an apostle is an exclusive thing. It's seized in the first century. Uh, but what's interesting from the Bible is that you know, God, in fact, appears to appoint every single one of us in our specific callings. None of our callings is by accident. God appointed, just like he did for Paul, God appointed uh, our callings. So look with me in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verse 5. It says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Uh, back in the time of Reformation, uh, reformers like Martin Luther uh, used this passage, used this verse, to teach this doctrine called the priesthood of all believers. What that means is, at that time, in the Catholic Church, uh, you know, the priests 
were considered a special class, that people considered them to be the only people who did you know, God's work. But Luther and other reformers are saying that's not true from the scripture. The scripture says, like we just read in 1 Peter, everyone, every single believer in Christ do God's work. Whatever they do, whether they are students, whether they are you know, secular workers and secular firms, whatever they do in, in their family lives, in their friendships, whatever calling, it is holy calling through which they do God's work. And that is very true. Again, God appointed every single one of our callings to glorify him. So again, if you're a student, worker, friend, sons or daughters, for some of us, spouse, and you know, for some of us, you know, parents, these are God-given specific callings through which we are to honor God. And what that means is, at this season of your life, that calling is precious. And what that also means is every single thing that you do for that calling, whether it's work or relationships, those are eternally valuable things because you do it for God. It's not just a chore. We don't just you know, work for money or just get good grades for the reputation or future jobs. No, it's for God. It's a calling that is precious, just like how Paul received his calling to be a representative for the, for the Gentiles. We're to be thankful for these callings. The divine appointment. Second point, the divine power. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. So we just saw that Paul was indeed appointed to be a minister of the gospel. But we'll see that it wasn't because he was qualified. He's going to argue that he's not qualified for this job. God's grace means that he got this appointment though he didn't deserve it. So he says in verse 8, listen to this. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The, the very least of the saints, all the believers. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15.9 says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. For Paul, grace means that he really doesn't deserve this salvation, let alone his calling because he knows his past. He was a persecutor of the church. He was an enemy of God. And he never got over that, it seems like. And for him, he's just astounded by the fact that God called him to be his child. And not only that, he's an apostle, a foundation of the church. And now, uh, in the next four verses, uh, Paul's going to now describe how, like, what God gave him as a task to do by grace. So follow with me, verse 9 and 10. It says, 
or go from the, the other um, or the last sentence of verse 8. It says, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What he's saying is that through the gospel that Paul is preaching, now the church is being built up. And not only that, we see the diverse, in fact, hostile groups such as Jews and Gentiles being united by the gospel. And now they're picturing this unity that goes beyond all the divisions of the world. And that's beauty that is being displayed to here, the rulers and authorities in heavenly place, meaning the universe as an audience. Just think about that. You know, right now in the world, there's so many divisions, right? You know, through politics, you know, cultures and interests and, you know, all these different opinions. But he, Paul's saying, through the gospel, we can go beyond that and bring unity in this world, in the church. And that's beauty. And that was Paul's task as an apostle. And then 11 and verse, uh, verses 11 and 12, it says, This was according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now, going from the universe to individual believers, Paul's saying, through the gospel that he's preaching, now people who used to be far from God, in fact, the enemies of God, like Gentiles, are now able to approach God and his throne in prayer and, and have intimates with God as their father through their faith in Christ. So Paul is saying that he's tasked with this privilege of seeing the beauty of unified church in the macro level and seeing people, individuals, change their lives, having close relationship with God now through the gospel that he preaches. And that's grace, again, because he doesn't deserve it. And even though Paul was a sinner, God gave him that privilege of seeing the gospel being preached through him and reconciliation happening in the world. Grace, that is, that is the cause of his disappointment. And what's interesting is that that seems to be God's pattern throughout history. God always chooses unqualified people for his tasks. Just name a few. Moses, the big name for the Jewish religion, he was a murderer. And he had some speech problem that you know, made him keep making excuses not to go follow God's call. And Apostle Peter, he, had a, he, was, he was a rash person, it's an interesting personality, and he also came to betray Jesus, what, three times. But God chose these guys to be the rock pillars of his kingdom. The question is, why? Why does God choose these guys? Not like maybe those people who are up there who are put together. Why is that? The answer uh, for that we go back to verse 7. There it says, the grace was given me 
by the working of his power. The reason is this. The reason why, why God uses the weak people is because through them, through these people who cannot boast about anything, God's power is seen. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says the same thing. It says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's God's power and his glory, not about our capacity. Paul is a living example for that. He was unqualified, but God used him for his power. I debated about sharing this story. This is embarrassing, but I'll share it anyway. Um, so I went overseas for a mission trip when I was in college, and our team had to put together this talent show um, to present to the people there, uh, you know, uh, gospel uh, somehow. And I ended up singing a Christian song in front of the, the whole audience. I think it was like over 100 people. That's a lot of people. Uh, and so I went up on the stage with uh, a guitarist and uh, the harmony person. And I started singing this song called uh, Still by Hillsong. I think we sing that song time to time. Uh, and uh, so apparently, the, most of the time while I was singing this song, uh, it was going well. Uh, it seemed like you know, people were attentive and you know, they're listening to the lyrics and you know, they're looking okay. But then towards the end, uh, I think I got the feel or something. Uh, I started adding ad lib. So while the guitarist was, you know, playing the chords, you know, for the instrumental part, I started adding, you know, you know that the ad lib that R&B singers, you know, put like, like oh, like that, you know. I got the feeling for that for some reason, and uh, I think it should be really short, uh, if not not at all. But I kept going for a long time, and uh, you know, I could tell even from the stage, that uh, a lot of people are getting a little you know, uncomfortable. And especially my team members looked very embarrassed. And uh, so I went, came down from the stage and uh, my leader you know, grabbed hold of me and he's saying, Aiden, you know, when you were just singing the song, it was so much of a blessing. But once you started doing the ad lib, I kept going, no, stop. Stop, stop. Um, and then it became a, the whole thing became an inside joke for my team members. So whenever we got into you know, a, a, the, our van uh, throughout the trip, you know, they would start singing the song with the ad lib in it, just to make sure that I, don't, I will never forget uh, for the rest of my life. And I was absolutely embarrassed just thinking about you know, that experience. I'm like, man, why did I do that? But I think I know why I did that. Uh, of course, I had the feeling, but I think deep inside, uh, I think I wanted to look good. I wanted to look cool, perhaps, in front of the whole audience. And I thought you know, it was going to work, which it didn't. Uh, but the result was this, right? You know, when I was weak, when I just had to present the gospel message through the song, it was blessing people. But when I tried to be strong, when I tried to 
you know, ad, ad lib, trying to look like somebody, it was stealing the blessing from people uh, because I was getting in the way of the ministry. I think it's like that in our, each one of our respective callings that we just saw, you know, how it's appointed by God himself. It's not random. We have this calling from God. And instead of, you know, displaying God's power in our callings, perhaps we do also add ad-lib. Here's what I mean. You know, as far as I see in the Bible, you know, success in our callings means this. It means to grow in our Christ-likeness in these areas and display them to the people and show them it's all by God's grace. And please hear me right. As far as I see, God never required us to get straight A's. He never required us to get promotions and be known as perfect, cool people. Uh, these are good things. You know, it's, it's okay and it's actually good to excel and be diligent. Those are virtues. But God seems to care more about how we grow to put our identity in Christ and his accomplishment, and we rest in him. And we grow through our failures especially because our identity and security is not in our performance, but what he did, what he accomplished. And we grow to, content, to be content and joyful in any circumstance. And from there on, we grow to care more about people than tasks in our callings. We care more about loving people instead of using them for our projects. That's what God seems to be requiring us to be successful in our callings. And through that, we display God's power, not ours. But if we're honest, we are tempted day to day, hour by hour, to add ad-lib into this. Because we want ourselves to be known. We want to add our efforts and find our identity and accomplishment in there. And the result is, you know, God's glory is hindered by our ad-libs. The question is, do we live by grace in our callings? Do we live for God or for ourselves? The divine, divine, um, that's our calling here. Third, the divine sacrifice. Verse 13, it says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Now Paul draws a conclusion for us. Again, he started out this passage you know, in order to explain that his imprisonment is not defeat, but there's a reason. The reason is this. He's saying that Paul's suffering is actually for the Ephesians' glory and their benefit. Meaning that you know, the gospel is supposed to be offensive to the world, right? It's about the crucified Messiah, and how there's only one way to salvation, on and on. It's full of offense. So there's supposed to be persecution if we live right. 
And because Paul knows with a clear conscience that his calling is to be an apostle for the Gentiles, he cannot deny his calling and he suffers for the gospel uh, through preaching of the gospel so that there will be converts in the Gentile world. And because of such sacrifice, the Ephesian Gentiles became Christian in the past, and uh, other Gentiles, like you and I, we're all Gentiles uh, by lineage, as far as I know, in this room and in our church. Um, and, and it's because of sacrifices and sufferings like Apostle Paul and numerous Christians and workers throughout centuries. And therefore, Paul is saying, do not lose heart by my imprisonment. Be encouraged. Be joyful because I'm suffering for you and for the gospel's sake. Suffering on the, on the one hand, salvation on the other. And that equation is not ori original for Paul because the ultimate example of that is Jesus Christ. Because he died on the cross, sacrifice, salvation for us. Paul is just simply doing what he received. He is exemplifying the life and sacrifice of Christ for him. He's living out the grace that he received. And to apply that for us, what that means is, if we really try to be faithful in our callings that God gave us, uh, to live by grace in those callings, we are bound to suffer. We are bound to go through uh, afflictions. But the promise here is that as we suffer, some people will come alive. Some people will uh, find good because of our suffering. Um, ever since that, my wife uh, became pregnant with Seth. Uh, I, I think I had respect for moms, obviously, before, but I, I think my respect for moms, you know, just skyrocketed because of seeing, witnessing what she had to go through during the pregnancy. And uh, here's what I mean, you know, while, or when we, we found out that Bev was pregnant with Seth, um, you know, two years ago, uh, you know, Bev had to change everything about, you know, her, her life. You know, she changed her, you know, diet, she changed her or she tried to think about good things, feel good things, and uh, you know, watch good things, and read good things, and listen to good things. But not only that, you know, she had to embrace sufferings uh, through various pains and inconveniences, right? I mean, you know, I don't have to name everything. There's a back pain for pregnant moms, you know, muscle pain, and you know, nausea, uh, so many more, you know, let alone the, the birth pangs, right? And, uh, and she, she, she's an athlete, and, but she could not do you know, any rigorous exercises you know, during that time. But she did all of that with joy, I can tell you, uh, because she knew that her suffering means life and health for our son. And that seems to be the pattern for believers too. Once we become believers, it's almost as if you know, we become pregnant uh, with other people. See what I mean? That now we're connected to other people. We're not 
living for ourselves anymore. Now we live for God and for others. And whatever we do in our lives and in our callings have impact for those around us, especially in the church. And again, the, the equation is, if we suffer, if we are willing to make a you know, priority change and willing to suffer in service, that means life and health for other people around us. There's no way around it. Somebody has to suffer. And Jesus suffered for us ultimately. And now he's calling us to get out of our comfort zone and serve by grace those around us. So the question I want to end with is you know, where and who might be, might God be calling us right now to serve, even at the expense of you know, our inconveniences? And how could God's power be shown in our weaknesses in those? Uh, relationships and areas. And may God bless us. May God grow us to be more like him as we endeavor, as we mature in this uh, calling to serve him and his church and people in the world. Let's pray together. Let's pray together, um, just spend some time um, in meditation and prayer before we close with the song. Um, I think what I want to ask you to do uh, right now and through the song is receive God's grace. The Christian endeavor is not about uh, just be pushed to do things, uh, but it's more about heart change our hearts have to be moved by God's grace and that's what happened to Paul right he was so moved by God's amazing love that transcended his you know ultimate failures of killing Christians and all these atrocities he was committing when he experienced that love that grace he was able to love the saint. Those who are forgiven much, much do they love. So let's spend some time right now um, just meditating on God's love for us. That He loves me and you, each one of us here. Despite our ugly sins, despite our failures last night, this morning. It says His grace is unsearchable. Unsearchable rich. Bottomless ocean. Horizonless expanse in the sky. That's God's love for us. May we experience that even before we do anything else. May God's grace be the engine of our good works. Let's pray together. Let's enjoy this time of His grace for us.
close our time uh, in uh, time of prayer uh, before we close with the uh, Lord's Prayer. Um, I'll pray for us, but uh, before we do that, let's uh, take some time uh, again just meditating on uh, God's amazing grace. And what that really means is that I think for me, you know, I don't have to worry about how I preached. Uh, I can just sit back and see what God does and uh, receive His grace. That's what I'll do uh, right now. And for many of us here uh, who are going back to work maybe and school and uh, a lot of busy schedules that you have, um, you, know, you can pray uh, ahead for God's grace that He would protect you and sustain you, that you would not be shaken by um, the, the world system that is uh, merit-based, right? But God's grace says, uh, I love you, not because of you, not because of what you do, but because of me, because of, your, because of my son. Rest in his blood. Let's pray, uh, just again, for uh, perhaps our past, present, and future challenges that um, God would uh, you know, protect our hearts and guide us and fill us with His grace. And I'll close for us after that. Heavenly Father, um, God, draw us back to you. Um, you know, we are always uh, pulled away uh, by the weight of this world, um, you know, our own insecurities and our own um, you know, challenges in our lives. Um, but whenever we get together as a church, whenever we hear your word, uh, we are drawn back to our foundation, the gospel of grace. That salvation and our lives can be achieved by our own works. You know, Christ didn't have to die, but He died and He rose again. Uh, and He's living and alive in heaven, reigning the universe. Uh, and we rest in Him. And as we grow in grace, God, may the same grace that saves us uh, propel our hearts to be gracious people in our callings uh, be the agents of grace uh, through to that may you save people and, and that can sometimes call us to be inconvenient but because we know your grace uh, may you also show grace to people so that uh, your salvation may spread to uh, all throughout the earth use us and uh, steady our hearts right now uh, close to your heart and uh, last step pray for perhaps those of us who have been discouraged uh, may you lift their hearts up um, by this truth of your unconditional love for them thank you Lord 
thank you, Lord. You are worthy of our praise.